Hello and welcome to the Blue Economy Podcast, presented by Rhode Island, the ocean state. I'm your host, David Hirschman, and on this episode, we're talking about predicting and solving for aquaculture disease. Our guest is Tony Chen, the co-founder and CEO of Manolin. Manolin is a data analytics company focused on combining human and artificial intelligence to better understand aquaculture disease. As always, we hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else you're listening. And you can learn more about the show at www.blueeconomypodcast.com or by following us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And now, here's our interview with Tony Chen, the co-founder and CEO of Manolin. Cool. So welcome, Tony. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Psyched to have you here. Tell me a little bit about what Manolin is and what you guys do. Yeah. So our company, Manolin, is a data analytics company, and we're focused on helping farmers solve aquaculture disease. We do it by combining millions of data sources from public and private data sets, you know, information such as the inventory on a farm, boat traffic, ocean currents, really trying to understand how diseases spread and provide early warning for farmers around the world. Our specific focus thus far has been on Norway and the salmon market. So Menelin has, a, uh, I think, a pretty interesting origin story. You and your co-founder were cutting your teeth in Washington, D.C. and spending weekends in the Chesapeake Bay, and then you were suddenly setting up shop in Norway. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got so quickly you know, from D.C. to Norway? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the founding idea for Norway, I mean, I was always passionate about food systems. Um, I came out of MIT studying computer science and wanted to apply that towards the public sector. How can we change up how the government operates and whatnot? And my co-founder, John, he did the same thing. We actually met as random Craigslist roommates and he was working on the defense space um, with a computer science degree, working a lot with satellites and remote sensing. Um, we ended up going down the Chesapeake, just kind of exploring seafood and playing some golf and found oyster farms and thought they were the coolest businesses loved dealing working with the farmers loved trying to understand their businesses and the challenges they they ran into but you know through that weekend experience we we discovered kind of the larger challenges around aquaculture disease policy you know what's struggling with the industry and, and what challenges it had to really grow and we kind of more heard about how big of a scale it had you know and how much aquaculture was one of the fastest growing food systems around the entire world how much of the world depends on seafood um, and where how we ended up in Norway was really recognizing that Norway was leaps and shoulders above everyone else in the aquaculture space. You know, the analogy I use is if you're building a tech consumer tech company, you go to Silicon Valley. Um, in the aquaculture space, we identified very quickly that that place was Bergen um, around the entire world as far as being a true hub of aquaculture. So if you really wanted to solve the biggest challenges in the industry, that was the place to gain a lot of that, that knowledge. So we packed our bags and went straight to Bergen. And so, you know, when you say that it's like kind of the hub of the world, you know, is that because historically they've just sort of built an infrastructure for that industry to be there? Um, and I guess were you able to find kind of a support system or what are, what are some of the more valuable elements that you found in Bergen that maybe you wouldn't have found elsewhere? Yeah, it, it, it is that, that there's a lot of that infrastructure and support system. I mean, early days when, when John and I were trying to work with more and more oyster farmers, you can imagine driving from one oyster farmer to another, you were going up and down the entire East Coast. And, you know, it was hours at a time in between, um, just trying to find more information, hear about operations and that sort of thing. There weren't necessarily, you know, established hubs the way you see Norway. And what 
so unique about Norway is, I mean, when you think about the salmon industry, it's still very new. It's been around for 30 to 40 years. The same guys that, that were small businesses, they just put some fish and some pens off a dock. Kind of the exact same things that we saw in the oyster fields um, have grown these to billion dollar companies. You know, right now, the three youngest billionaires in the world are heirs to the Norwegian salmon businesses. Um, so they've gone from in the last 30, 40 years from the small nuance, small business farming operations to these multinational corporations. And Bergen itself, you know, there's more aquaculture and seafood traffic that goes on through that through that city, whether it's the university, whether it's all the companies that are headquartered there, all the research that's happening. You just have this whole ecosystem. I think the, the unique thing that we discovered, you go to any bar, you sit down, you talk with some folks. In the US, when I'm saying I, I work with fish farming, people find it really interesting. They want to learn more. In Norway, you go and talk to anybody about aquaculture and it's hot topic item. You know, it's their second largest export behind oil. So it's everybody knows something about the seafood industry. And for us kind of coming from the outside, it was a great way to just gain so much information that we couldn't find anywhere else. Interesting. Well, you know, so according to your website, your mission is to solve aquaculture disease, you know, mm -hmm. um, how big a problem is that kind of disease? And I guess, can you give kind of a, you know, 30,000 foot view of how the product works? You know, like that, when I think of disease, I think of sort of like red tide or, or kind of different, like specific things that, uh, you know, affect oysters or whoever, but I mean, are you, are you tackling all different kinds of diseases? We are, and we're focusing on, on salmon diseases. So there's environmental stuff like when you're talking about algae blooms and and you know high high temperatures high or low oxygen high salinity um, but there's other viruses and, and parasites as well so in Norway some of the top topics are sea lice pancreas disease ISA those are some significant you know diseases that have huge impacts on a farm and when you're looking at it from a 30,000 foot view I mean the way we see it disease is the biggest issue in the industry and there's direct costs when you look at you know sea lice treatments cost Norwegian farmers over a billion dollars in just treatments. And that's not even talking about the impact on the farms. PD and ISA have similar types of, of economic impact, but even further, you're talking about, you know, policy that's driven around it, how consumers view, view the industry. If we can solve disease in aquaculture, we can solve a whole lot of problems more than just the economic side from a farming point of view. And that's the same thing when you talk about oysters and whatnot. Are there more diseases in a farm fish? as opposed to kind of caught, you know, just caught in the wild? It's it's just slightly different. I mean, it's a, I, I've watched a few of your your podcast episodes, and you know the lack of data. There's new diseases being discovered all the time um, when it comes to to the fish species. Um, farmed fish, you know, obviously produce more diseases, and there's more to be tracked. But um, when when it comes to wild versus versus farmed, it's it's out there either way. And, you know, some of it spurs a little bit quicker. I mean, I think you can uh, you can take a lot of analogies from human health and how diseases develop too. Um, I wouldn't significantly say that there's more in farmed than, than in wild. Interesting. Well, yeah, I guess what kind of data are you collecting and I guess, how do you apply it, you know, to help customers like get around disease or, or combat disease? Yeah. So as of today, we're collecting millions of data points and they largely come across both the private and public sector. So when you're looking at public data sources, it's things that are sensors coming from NOAA, meteorological forecasts, you know, ocean currents, um, that sort of thing, and understanding boat traffic as well, understanding various vectors that could spread disease or parasites or any sort of challenges. And then from the private data we get from the farmers, you know, how growth 
is looking, how many fish have died, you know, what are lab tests looking like, how much are they feeding the fish, a lot more kind of operational data. So we combine both of those together to understand how the diseases are spreading. So it's identifying whether a farm is at risk, you know, are the fish not healthy, you know, are, are they more susceptible to diseases and then combining that with where the d- diseases are coming from. In the ocean, it's really hard to stop any sort of spread of disease, right? Currents are, we, we can't, we can't put up walls in between those. Um, and these farms can sometimes be, you know, if you kilometers apart from each other and they're not owned by the same company. So knowing what's coming up is, is from neighboring areas is really important. Is this kind of data applicable across different locations around the world? Or I guess, do you have to recalibrate for each area's specific diseases that they're susceptible to, or that, you know, I I mean, I guess, how how does it translate from kind of one farm to the other around the world? Yeah. I mean, it, it's largely the same when you look at the data sources, right? You're looking at the same thing when it comes to oysters or, or another species, you're still looking at growth. You're still looking at, at inventory data and you're still looking at how the hydrology and, and, and the oceans aspects of it impact it. Um, for us, it's just training the models towards those specific unique pieces. We take a lot of information from research, understanding, for example, if certain viruses seem to be spreading more with specific boats, um, you know, work boats and that sort of thing. And, and we can train the model to adjust for those, but that's how we're spreading across, you know, multiple species. And that's how we plan to, to grow to other, other markets. Um, but it's really just adjusting the model based on the data we're able to collect. When you say the disease is spread with workboats, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, I, I know there's, a, there's always this issue about ballast water decontamination, people bringing, exactly. you know, ballast from one port to another and then kind of spreading disease around the world. Is that, is that part of it? Or is that, you know, when you say workboats, I guess, what do you mean? That's that, that's exactly it. I mean, one of the things that we track pretty closely in Norway, they're well boats. So big, you know, 100, 200 foot boats that that carry fish um, and they open up their their, their ballast ports for, for bringing in water. There's a specific zone structured around Norway where you can and can't open it. But I mean, so these boats go through a lot of sanitation. So when they move from one farm that maybe had a disease, they're supposed to go through sanitation before they go to the next farm. It's not 100%, you know, clean every single time. So being able to track the, these behaviors, you know, we're able to give farmers advance warnings that this boat's been to a multiple, you know, they've been through multiple of these zones. It's just something to keep an eye on. Um, but being able to track, you know, behaviors like that and how, how they're carried um, by the boats and, and, and within those specific wells um, does have an impact on the disease spread. But so if you're tracking like, hey, you know, a, a boat that's just been to X number of zones and probably mm-hmm. it's bringing, you know, some kind of something, um, with that knowledge, what can a you know farm owner do? I mean, is, is, you know, sort of prophylactically, you know, put antibiotics in the water or something like that. I mean, I don't know. Like, what's yeah, the, I mean. This was one of the things that we identified compared to the oyster market where, you know, if red tide's coming, there's only so many actions a farmer can do. They can sink their cages. They could decide to harvest. Um, hurricane's coming. You can only do so much, right? When it comes to salmon and, and, and kind of hardier species, there are there is a little bit more time. It's not quite, you know, fish are not cattle. They don't have huge immune systems. Um, they're not mammals, but they you, you can do things. So you can harvest. You can give them a more functional feed. You could drop down some, some skirts to limit water flow within the cage. Farmers have a lot of capabilities, um, particularly for an industry like Norway, where they They've made a lot of money. They have a lot of resources, a lot of equipment at hand. Knowing a few weeks out can, can really make a difference for a business. Are there specific regions or countries that you think might particularly benefit from your product? Or I mean, I guess, all right, so you're in Norway now. Where mm-hmm. are you looking to expand? Or I guess, what are some of the kind of what's on your roadmap? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, our focus has always been on coastal aquaculture. Um, right now we're still very focused on salmon and, and growing kind of outside of Norway. So Scotland, Chile, Canada are, 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 are the next target markets when it comes to salmon. And then outside of that, we're looking at the, at the other coastal species. So whether you're looking at shrimp, tilapia, shellfish, um, there's applications across all those coastal aquaculture activities. Are there specific types of fish that you like would be better at or worse at, or, or I mean, not, not, not worse necessarily, but like things that would, that lend themselves to your kind of specialty? Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's really just coastal aquaculture. So places that, that, that have more intense operations where, where disease management is, is a, a larger issue. I mean, there's places like, you know, in Mexico where, where, where they're farming sea bass, but they're really the only farm in, in, in quite, quite some area. The value that we're able to pr- provide is a little bit less because they're not getting so much impact. We're not able to collect as much disease data that may be impacting the farm outside of what's happening within that operation. But again, our focus has always been on understanding kind of how the ocean coastal ecosystems work. So those are the aquaculture practices that that apply most for, for the software and product that we're building. And so a lot of these diseases, I mean, you were saying before, are they, they're like from farms that are close to each other and they, they spread from farm to farm. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess like, you know, when, it, when you have an operation like what you're talking about in Mexico, there's just like, there's not that much interaction with anything around. And so it's, there's much less of a chance of being impacted. Correct. Yeah. I mean, as far as the value we're able to provide, we can build models for their specific growth and, and, you know, what's happening on their site. Um, but part of what we've been focused on is breaking down these data silos to figure out everything that can impact a farm, um, for a company, you know, in those types of farms, there really isn't enough data out there to, to understand, you know, the outside impacts and we can provide help from the internal. Um, but that's really our, our focus when you're talking about disease spread is about mapping it at, 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 at a higher level and a larger scale. So these are all like communicable diseases as opposed to sort of like diseases that develop within like, like say someone had like a aquaculture, uh, you know, just a tank somewhere mm-hmm. in, in like the Midwest. That's not really your, your situation, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, you list data transparency as one of your organization's core values. You know, can you tell me what uh, data transparency means kind of in this context? And, you know, is the goal to level the playing field to give farmers kind of e- equal access to the knowledge they need? Sure. I mean, I think data transparency and, and data security is something that we're seeing across the world in many different in- industries as being really important. Um, we think it's even more important when it comes to the field of, you know, agriculture and specifically aquaculture. I mean, for us, it's a, it's quite simply about how, how can we be good stewards of our customers' data and how do we help them grow their businesses using this information? But in order to make that happen, it, what we're doing is breaking down so many data silos, right? And traditionally, businesses have held on to, to, to their own data as a competitive advantage. We're arguing that there's ways to open this up to help the overall space. Um, and, and because of that, you know, we have to be very clear about what we're doing with the information that, that we collect. So we are very open to our farmers about what we're using this data for and how it's supposed to benefit them. And you know, when it comes to leveling the playing field, that's not necessarily the, the approach or the viewpoint that we have. We think that when it comes to aquaculture, it's there's so many challenges to be solved the, the kind of positives outweigh the negatives. And it's sort of like space where we, there's enough challenges that we need to collaborate on certain pieces. You know, you talk to a lot of farmers who say, we want to compete with other farmers over marketing, over branding, over price. 
but we don't want to compete over diseases. This is a challenge that we need to solve t- together and opening the data makes that available. I mean, the analogy I have is, you know, when it comes to salmon, we've roughly raised 10 generations of fish. That's it. There's been 10 breeding generations that have ever happened in the human history of us growing these animals. When you compare that to poultry or any sort of other animal agriculture, it's it's worlds apart. And we're trying to make big leaps. There are challenges across the industry, but in order to, to accelerate those challenges, we have to open up more and more information. So it's not necessarily leveling the playing field, but it's more providing everyone with access to insights in a way. You touched on this a little bit before, but you know what... I guess, what are some of the options the farmers have, like when they're trying to, what, you know, you've got your fish, you see disease coming, you know, you get the, the data, like, like, what are some of the levers they can pull to, to try to keep their fish healthy if there's like, you know, if they've detected disease in the water? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to salmon specifically, I mean, there there is medication. Can do there are treatments you can you can do ahead of time. Um, a lot of it is just trying to maintain fish health and 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 you know the quality of their product. So if they know a disease is coming, they may adjust their harvesting schedules. They may perform some of, for example, in Norway, sea lice is something that's regulated, you know, very very strictly, and you have to do treatments if you're over a specific limit. You may decide to do treatments sooner before the actual disease comes. Um, that's one way to help manage it. But if you're talking about specific mitigation, there's functional feeds that. There's, there's there's ways you can boost a fish's immune system um, to help them fight the virus. And again, you can harvest if if, 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 if that's the right choice for you. Um, right. So it's really about managing the business because we are talking, you know, these cages are large. There are quite a number of fish in them. So when you're making these decisions, it's really at scale um, that, 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 that they start to really be applied. Um, so, you know, on this podcast, we've talked to a large number of blue economy leaders who are trying to better leverage data analytics, mm-hmm. um, like people are, who are trying to map the ocean floor to build a virtual ocean, and others are using predicting predictive analytics to uh, to make cargo shipping more efficient. You know, I guess from your perspective, how far has the blue tech space come in the last five to 10 years? And, you know, where else could we use data analytics to kind of, you know, help aquaculture? Yeah. I mean, in in my opinion, when it comes to the blue tech space in just the last five to 10 years, we're still very early stages. Um, We talk a lot about it all, uh, or we talk a lot about it in the office where, you know, even when I went to college and what's available in the data science space since then in the last five to six years has been mind blowing as far as how far people have gotten and, and what that space looks like that's so different. And quite honestly, I don't think it's been applied into the ocean space yet. I mean, the companies you've spoken to, whether it's TerraDeft or SailDrone, they're collecting vast amounts of data coming out of the ocean, which has never been seen before. And we haven't even you know started turning those into, into insights yet. So I think we're still in very early days. We've come a long way, but I mean, quite honestly, you know, even data science, predictive analytics, you're only starting to see that really impact traditional industries in the last year or two, you know, it used to just be, you know, Facebook, Uber, Google, those types of companies utilizing these, these types of data resources, but now you're seeing it spread everywhere else. And I don't think it's quite hit the ocean just yet. We're still a little bit behind there. And it's largely because there hasn't been enough data to be used. Um, 
so that's that's my opinion on you know where the space is as far as how it applies to aquaculture. It it comes across a lot of different ways. I'd say we're one of those that's that's using these techniques and abilities to forecast diseases. There's other companies that are using more vision analytics to understand behaviors of fish and you know automatically counting them and sizing them and seeing that in 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 actual real time. And then one of the guests you had on the show, Senator Whitehouse, spoke about data driven policy and you know how important that is for the ocean. And when it comes to our space and aquaculture, that's a big piece. You know, aquaculture and the policy driven around it, it's a lot of emotional base. There isn't a lot of facts behind a lot of the decisions that that, that need to be made. Um, so, you know, as far as how it helps us and how data analytics and, and how we see it impacting the industry, you can see it come across all those different ways. So whether it's operational improvements, understanding and, and the science behind the oceans, as well as policy. When you say that there's not, you know, there's a lot of emotion around uh, fishing. I, I think that's totally true. Um, you know, one thing I often wonder about with kind of, and this isn't, doesn't really apply to aquaculture so much, but like, you know, there's this sort of like uh, luck or fate or people don't know like what, you know, what, where the fish are, like, how, how are we going to find them? And like, are, you know, are they going to be okay? Um, you know, is there a, is there a way to like make that less unknown over time? Do you think, I mean, do you think that like, can we actually kind of chart like not only the seafloor, but like kind of everything that's in it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it depends on your perspective. Uh, I myself as the optimist definitely think it's possible. I mean, it's the advancements you've seen. I mean, I've, I, I've heard it on the podcast. I've seen it elsewhere, you know, the comparison between space and the oceans. Um, I mean, what you see that SpaceX and these space companies are able to accomplish, you know, the same thing can happen in the ocean. I do believe we can track all of it. Um, I do, you know, I, I do have significant concerns over is fishing the ocean the right way to go? You know, we grew up, you know, as a human society on agriculture, and yet we're still hunting or hunters and gatherers when it comes to the ocean space. Is that really the future that 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 it should look like? We're getting pretty good at finding every single fish that that that's possible. You know, a lot of tech has been developed over the last fifty years to really harvest the oceans, and is that the path forward? Um, I, I personally believe that, you know, aquaculture can solve a lot of the food issues as well as kind of the environmental issues that are out there. Um, but yeah. Like, so obviously factory farms and like kind of land agriculture get like a really kind of a bad rap for, you know, becoming these sort of big factories. Um, is there like a push to do that with fish as well? Or like, are there like these big organizations? And I guess, how do you, how do you get around that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, for us, I mean, we're we're focused on on the analytics. Our mission again is on disease and the oceans. I mean, we're getting around that. I don't know if it's necessarily possible. I, I think it's all the perspective you want to look at. You know, animal agriculture is something that you know has its flaws as well. There's also some benefits. You know, the amount of food that's produced around the world. You know, I, how much can we scale certain practices? Um, I think aquaculture is running into the same issues, and it's going to happen. I mean, I think on one of your podcasts you spoke with a real oyster cult and they talked about, you know, specifically how Rhode Island and these different states are viewing, you know, small holders in this space. And the way that, you know, my perspective on aquaculture at a much more global scale is for we, we, and again, we're so we, our hearts are in the oyster in industry. That's how we, we grew up in this space in a, in a, in a sense. But if we're going to liken oysters to Napa and the wine industry, is that going to solve the food challenges that we have coming up? Like, does that scale to the point that we're able to feed, you know, the 15% of the world that depends on seafood as their primary source of protein? and there's arguments across, you know, 
are we, we could do cell-based, we could do plant-based protein. There's arguments across all these different spaces. I think aquaculture is part of that, that equation at some point, you know, sure we can be plant-based and, you know, grow kelp and, 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 and just eat seaweed. Um, but even at a certain point, there's a, there's a scale question to it. And, you know, how do we address that? There's going to be challenges. Oysters have diseases. You know, you're seeing environmental impacts from oyster farms on, 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 on the French coastline. They're seen as more of a nuisance than, than, you know, a filter feeder. Um, and so there's positives and negatives around it all. I think it's when it comes to food systems, if we, unless we, we, we want to stop our growing population around the world, then we're going to have to figure out some of these food issues and they can come from many different sources, I guess. Thanks for listening to the Blue Economy Podcast, presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. And thank you to Tony Chen, the CEO and founder of Manolin, for joining us. We hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review our program on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you want to learn more, just head to our website at www.blueeconomypodcast.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. From beautiful Providence, Rhode Island, I'm David Hirschman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.